0: Hello everyone and welcome to Beyond Parenthood, the podcast. My name is Alyssa. And my name is Ali. And we're here to share with you wisdom about parenting. We thought there was no better place to start than our first podcast, than the foundation, I guess you will, of everything that we do as professionals and also as mothers, and that is Respectful Parenting.
1: Just to uh, start us off, I thought I would read a quote from Madka Gerber, who is the founder of Respectful Parenting. So she says, we not only respect babies, we demonstrate our respect every time we interact with them. Respecting a child means treating even the youngest infant as a unique human being, not as an object.
0: We, we so often view babies almost like they're robots in a way. We, we get this um, very strict timeline of, well, at this age, a baby will do this, and at this age, a baby will, will do that. And if we were to apply that same logic to adults we would think it was you know, a load of rubbish if you were to say to every 42-year-old, you're 42, so you're going to eat with breakfast at this time and you're going to go to bed at this time and you need to sleep for this many hours because you're 42 years yeah. old. They would think you're off your rocker.
1: But Absolutely.
0: with babies, we think they are these little robots that fit into this, this mould. And we also, I guess, the other thing that I take from, from Magda's words there is that we're, we're treating babies as if they don't have any will or thought of their own. You know, I mean, and yes, and when we look at infant development, we know that their brains are nowhere near as, as sophisticated or capable as ours, but they still are very capable. You know, they're starting to learn to communicate and learning to, you know, over those first sort of 12 months, they're starting to develop that sense of, of individuality. And we really need to kind of embrace that from the beginning, that a newborn is not just a little robot that cries when it's hungry,
1: I'm not sure why, but I think as a society, we've kind of got worse at this, not better. <laughs> um, I think we've kind of gone very much um, towards treating them as, like you say, an object and not as a human. Um, just the whole the whole process of, of when you have a little one. And I think it really helps if you can get that connection early on and understand that connection and, and do things with your little one to, to make sure they are part of you um because essentially that's that's what they are they're not a thing uh, they are part of you and they're a human and i think we don't often give babies and young children the credit for all the amazing things that they can do and all the amazing things that their development encompasses and uh often it's a rush to get to the next developmental stage what's the next leap what are they going to be doing next and we just lose that focus on actually, let's just concentrate on the here and now and, and what we can do for that, that little human now.
0: I, I wonder as well whether a lot of it is becoming worse as we lose that instinctive parenting. We, as we start to move away from, you know, we're, we're all parenting on our own. We're parenting in isolation now. We don't have the same family close by and the community and the, the intergenerational community raising our children Mm. we're really losing the instinctive parenting we're not getting those skills passed down from our mothers and our grandmothers so we're turning to books and we're turning to the internet and and you know a book can't describe to you an instinct it can give you a routine it can give you a schedule it can give you a milestone and everything's very black and white Mm. but a, a book can't describe to you you know those those little skills that we would have had passed on from from generations and i think we've we've become a lot more rigid and a lot more black and white mm. what we're doing and and i know i find that a lot particularly in the parents that i work with as a sleep coach that's often the approach that they're taking they want black and white they want you know what do i do here and what time do i do this and how long mm. do i do this for <clears throat> And in actual fact, I mean, you will find people out there who will give you those kind of answers. But really, if we, if we look at it in a, a respectful way, if we're taking all of our little ones as individuals, there is no black and white. Things are going yeah. to vary between children. They're going to vary day to day. They're going to vary from morning till night. Yeah. You know, one day that routine that that book told you to do might work perfectly. And the next day it doesn't.
1: I agree. I mean, I think that community bringing up a child, you know, that, that has disappeared Um when I talked to my mum and, you know, we were talking about play dates and she sort of said, well, we never had play dates, you know, when when you were little, you know, if I, she said, if I had to go to the dentist, I'd just, you know, knock on Susie's door next door and say, oh, Susie, you know, will you look after uh, Ali for a bit, you know, because I, like, I need to go to the dentist. It yeah. wasn't like a thing in a diary and a schedule and a, we have to meet at a soft play center and all of those things, you know, they didn't exist. They just kind of just got on with it and actually lived in each other's houses I think quite a bit uh, in the street um it, it it's a massive change and I think we've lost we've lost so much from that um and I think huge observational things that that you can't get from a book
0: where where we're losing that focus on the instinct and we're becoming more um more more rigid in what we're doing and I think just perhaps almost kind of parenting too much if that makes sense, we're trying too hard to raise our children, right? There's, there's none of that. And and there's certainly a middle ground there when you look at, you know, the way that that we were raised or the way that our parents were raised, that there's certainly a a happy middle there. But I think sometimes we are really trying too hard. We're putting such pressure on ourselves and Mm -hmm. really focusing on what should my child be doing? What should I be teaching them? Everything's this really active process which, when you look at the the principles of respectful parenting, I mean, when when Magda Gerber first came up with with this concept, you know, she she was an early childhood educator in the U.S. and and she founded what she called RIE or RIE, which was Resources for Infant Educators. And and when she kind of coined this term of educaring, she was focusing on the idea that we're um, we're teaching them through the way that we we care for them we're not actively teaching them a skill it's not a let's sit down and learn how to put this ball into this puzzle yeah it's it's teaching them through those experiences through how we do the littlest things in our day and mm-hmm. and she said herself you know in the early years caring is the curriculum that yeah. that is the the entire focus the focus should be there on that connection between the baby or the child and the caregiver Whereas when we focus on the skills and the milestones, we're almost adding this extra element, you know, it's almost becoming a triangle rather than a back and forth between child and carer. We're almost adding this extra element in, in there where the carer is focused on the skills and we're forcing the baby to focus on the skill and we're losing that other connection. We're losing that other half yeah. triangle there. Um, and, and we as parents then put so much pressure on ourselves, to you know, purchase the right materials and the right toys and we need to be teaching them this and have they hit this milestone and which leap are they at and rather than actually ever getting the chance to sit back and just watch our babies and watch yeah. our children and observe them where and we're, enjoy them yeah exactly enjoy I, them instead just... <laughs> of sitting there worrying about
1: you know oh I've got I've only got this toy and that one's got that toy and am I doing enough and all of that guilt that comes with you know with being a parent with being a mom you know you just worry that you're not doing the right thing at the right time and like you say you turn to the internet and oh whoa no I haven't done that and Mm. they haven't been been listening to baby Mozart and all of this and the pressure just the pressure is unbearable.
0: I mean the the internet is a great thing and I will certainly say for a lot of parents particularly after the 18 months that we've had for a lot of parents who've had babies in, in lockdowns and things like that having access to the internet and that connection with the outside world is great but also there is so much misinformation out there and there's so much, you know, back when, when we were raised or when our parents were raised, you didn't know what, you know, a hundred thousand other people around the country were doing with their children because you didn't yeah. know. Them. Whereas now you can be on social media and those hundred thousand people that you follow are posting about every detail of their life with their children. And suddenly you're like, Oh, well that person's doing this and that person, and their child's doing that. And should I have taught them to do this? And it, it once again, it's yet another thing that's, taking your focus away from your child everything's kind of directing that focus outward rather than actually taking a step back to you know that real key principle of of right parenting respectful parenting of of following the child there was a great um i think it was on a podcast that i was listening to once that said you know you in terms of your child's life they are the writer and the director and the actor you are an extra on the set. You know, you, you really like any time and in the simplest example, anytime you sit down to play with your baby or your child, be an extra. Don't take the toy and show them how it works. Yeah. Have the materials accessible to them and see what they do with them. Yeah. I, I know as a first time mum, I thought I was doing the most amazing thing by being with my daughter all the time and, and you know, playing with her and being engaged with her and doing all sorts of fantastic activities with her. Um, But the problem was that I wasn't taking the time to step back and let her lead. And so as she got older and I started to feel, as most mums do, where they start to think, right, yeah, you you can go play over there now. I'd like a little bit of peace and quiet, please. She almost didn't know what to do. We kind of stamped out that instinct to go off and yeah. create her own play because she was sort yeah. of kind of going, yeah, but are you gonna come with me and show me what to do? Yeah. And I think that's where, the, you know, if, if there's nothing else that any parents take away from this, take away that concept, follow them, don't yeah. lead them. Follow yeah. what they're doing, take the time to sit back and observe and, and silently observe. And it's really hard to do, to sit there on your hands and not say a word yeah. while they're playing. But doing that on a daily basis for short periods of time, not that you don't want to interact with them, but for short periods of time, taking that time to observe and just let them lead everything.
1: When they're that young and when they're a newborn, you do spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. just looking at them and being with them and cuddling with them. And I think we lose that too early. I think if you can keep hold of that for longer, um, because that's essentially what we're talking about. We're talking about just being... I suppose the concept that everyone talks about now is mindfulness, isn't it? It's being in, the, being in the moment and appreciating that moment and trying, trying not to think about the next thing or how can I make this better? And how can I improve this? Actually, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Sit, observe um, and, and take that time. And it, and it's hard because you, that time goes quick and you feel you want to make the most of it. And um, I, I think, from a personal perspective, I know when, when they sort of get to about sort of six, seven months, and um, maybe they can sit up on their own and you kind of think, oh, you know, I should be, do-, you know, they, they're now capable of interacting. I should be, you know, what can I play? What should I be doing? You know, and getting, you know, completely ridiculous activities out, like role play activities and things like that, you know, let's play, you know, with the kitchen and you think, right, they're six months old, they don't need this yet. But yeah. Uh, try and be in the moment and spend some spend some time going back to what what you did when they're a newborn which is observing and and taking it all in
0: observing and 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 really engaging with them and like what you said they're actually even almost the, the I feel like the best way to think about it you know as your child gets older you think right they're capable of more you know now they can play with this toy now they can use this skill you almost need to actually think about it as your first priority being as they get older now they can interact with me more yeah and and make that the way you think of it you know now this yes yeah. now they can smile at me now we can yeah. play peekaboo now i can sing little songs to them and and you know do do actions and, and get that reaction out of them almost focus on those skills focus on those skills of connection because the rest and and if if you're following those kind of principles of of respectful parenting and and one of the other really key things there is is kind of involving them in all of their caregiving, involving involving them in daily life, you know, doing things with them, not to them. Yeah. You're doing all of that, they will pick up all those other skills, those those motor skills and those other cognitive skills. That that comes because you know, yeah. if, if you were to you know think back years and years and years and years before children had toys and before they had all of these other bits and pieces, they just learned by watching the people around them. And, they watched yeah. the they watched their family, they watched other children, they were involved in what was going on and none of them were, you know, 10 years old and couldn't walk or couldn't talk yeah. or you know, couldn't grasp a cheerio between two fingers.
1: <laughs> I remember, I remember years ago watching this incredible documentary and it's before I had children, and I, I wish I still knew how to find it actually, because it was because now I think I'd have a completely different perspective as well. But it was all about a tribe that lived um, in trees and built platforms up trees. Mm. And they they had a a basic platform really high up in this tree. I mean, we're talking, you know, probably 20-30 meters. Yeah. But the platform had no edges. Oh. But the babies just crawled around <laughs> this platform, but there was no edges. And ah, that one wasn't a it. parent at the time. And I was, <laughs> I was pretty horrified watching it. But it was so interesting mm. about how those babies had learned not to crawl off the edge of the platform. It's 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 yeah. just so interesting. And I, I, I hope I can find that again one day to look at it. But I think I think those things are really interesting uh, to see how you know how when you go back to basics that's that's all that tribe have ever known you know there is there's no stair gate (laughs) there's there's no there's no health and safety stickers it's just a platform high up in the trees and none of those babies fall off (laughs)
0: it's really interesting that you say that though because I think it 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 ties in with two things that I feel really strongly about as a professional and as a parent as well and and one of them is, is you know something which is one of Magda's really key principles of of the Rye type philosophy, which was creating a safe, predictable environment with room to explore. So you're you're you know you're not um, you're not baby proofing per se. You're making an environment where they've got the space to explore, where they're not restricted. It's safe, but yeah. they're not they're <laughs> not penned in and kept away from things. Mm-hmm. And it also comes into play with the you know sort of Montessori type philosophies when you talk about. Um, creating yes spaces when you talk about using things like floor beds a lot of parents when I quite often when I'm dealing with parents with sleep support we have that discussion about floor beds because for some children with some sleep difficulties even with young babies the, moving to a floor bed is is a game changer yeah the first question most parents ask is yeah but they're going to roll out and they're going to wind up all over their bedroom and I think I mean firstly a lot of kids will roll out and fall asleep on the floor and they're happy as a clown yeah <laughs> but but you see, even with young babies, when they first move into a floor bed, they will roll out. And then after yeah. a very short period of time, they stop doing it. Because they, as adults, you know I mean? We don't go to bed every night fearing that we're going to fall off yeah. bed. Because, because we, yeah. just at a later age, when we were a child moving into a single bed perhaps, we learned to be aware of our space while we were asleep and just yeah. ourselves falling out. Um, yeah. and, and just as children can go through that, babies can do the same thing they will spend a bit of time rolling around figuring out where the edge to their world is and then they get that spatial awareness and they they stop doing it and they're able to keep themselves in that space and i feel like when when you have examples like that with young babies it really makes it click what what magda was talking about in terms of trusting the child's ability we automatically write off so many things because they're a baby they they can't can't do that they can't understand that they're not capable of that and do we do almost baby our babies we we suppress them in a way because we're keeping them confined and contained and we're Mm -hmm. we're discounting their abilities before they've had the chance Mm -hmm. to try but then we feel like they're not achieving what we want them to so then we try to teach them these things and and if you think about the idea of um I was reading a fantastic book by um simone davies the other day her montessori baby book and she talks a lot in there about creating a space for for a baby and and creating space for freedom of movement and when we take babies and we put them into um, bouncers and activity centers and walkers and jumperoos and all these little devices that contain them the biggest thing we do with that is is not not you know it doesn't help them to walk any earlier or stand in their in actual yeah. fact, the research seems to support that it does exactly the opposite but we're, we're containing them and we're limiting that freedom of movement what that baby needs is just a nice soft rug on the floor yeah. and a big open space yeah and, and you pop them down and they've got the room to to roll to sit to pull up on things just to explore and and to able yeah. to move around that safe space when we're containing them in these devices when we're containing them in cots even we're limiting yeah. all of that movement for them yeah. and then it's we're interesting
1: worried. when i when we when i have a class you know and we have sort of some big spaces and it's just interesting just before the class starts just to see how the little ones react and you know they're so happy just Crawling, if they can crawl, crawl around in a massive space, you know, like a big hall, because that's like often the first time they've had access to something like that. Yep. Or uh, you know, one of my one of my venues, as you know, has got a bouncy floor, so that's <laughs> quite interesting. <laughs> like seeing the uh, toddlers react to the bouncy floor. I was reading something quite interesting recently about risk taking with slightly older children and um, how we how we need to let them take risks, you know, and and they will learn, and that's something that I've sort of kind of always done with my boys and it's great now because they will, they will do things, but they've naturally learned to assess the risk of it now, which is, which is fantastic. I couldn't ask for anything better that they can look at something and that you can see them, you know, weighing up in their head, you know, "Mm, I don't know, you know, can I do that? And it was really interesting. And this article was saying even something as simple as, if your little one is climbing up something, and it's a safe thing to climb with, take, for example, a soft play, even by you interrupting and saying, oh, be careful. Yeah, You're kind of limiting, limiting them already, you know, and if it, if it is a safe thing for them to do, if it's a safe area for them to climb, let them climb uninterrupted. And I thought that's really interesting because. I wouldn't have seen that necessary as an interaction that was unnecessary but now i've read it i thought yeah that that's true because they're kind of concentrating and they're taking it all in and then it's not helpful by you saying be careful <laughs> uh, you're kind of yeah and i just thought that was a really interesting take because i never really thought about it like that before before i'd sort of seen that and, and read that read that and i thought yeah actually let if it is a safe thing for them to be climbing, let them assess that risk. You, you interrupting by saying, be careful is not helping
0: the process. <laughs> if you're interrupting and asking questions and, and leading and trying to encourage all with the best of intentions when your child's playing, what you do is almost interrupt that thought process. You know, it's, it's like breaking up sleep cycles and then suddenly they become unable to link that and do that themselves. Mm, mm. And And I, I mean, if you... <laughs> It's funny, actually, and it, it, I think a lot, whenever you think about an issue with your child, if you step back and think, right, if that was me as an adult in that situation, how would I feel? Suddenly yeah. it all makes so much sense, the way they react. Because, yeah. I mean, if you, yeah. you know, I don't know, sitting down to... To do a piece of work or write an essay or an assignment or something, and you're sitting there and you're trying to get in your zone and figure out what you're saying, and then your partner stands behind you and goes, "Oh, what what are you going to write next? And what's that bit about? And how how are you going to spell that? And do you want a cup of tea? And have you thought about doing this? And what does that bit there say?" Yeah, you would just lose the plot, wouldn't you? You'd be so yeah. frustrated. And then they, you know, when you eventually got rid of them, you think, "Oh God, I've just I've I've lost yeah. my train of thought. Yeah. Where was my... I? What was I doing? Absolutely. Sort of that to it, I'll just give up." yeah exactly the same when we interrupt those processes that 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 they're going through yeah. not not giving them that time to um process it and then make that decision and make that assessment or or not giving them the time to sit there and look at that toy and think oh what what could i do with this and yeah. how how could i work it and what do i want to do with it and we need to slow it down and and give them that that you know That potential to do that for themselves. Mm. And
1: I think when we're talking about basic care with babies and we're talking about respectful care, it's about giving little ones the time to process what is happening to them. Often, that you know, we live in this world where we're all rushing around at 100 miles an hour and we just don't give them the time. And, like you say, if you just put yourself in their shoes, you can see why they're kicking off and having a bit of a scream and everything else. Cause you think, well, you, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like it. I think that I think if something as simple as a nappy change, yeah. you know, if you, if you take a respectful care approach to a nappy change, the whole process of a nappy change becomes so much better for the child and for the caregiver, you know, and it's something, you know, nappy change is something that happens you know all the time with a small baby you know but that's just one little thing that you could change slightly to make the experience better and I always say it's around what you touched on earlier it's around the body signing you know the body touching so rather than just you know right you know uh, we're gonna pop you know pop this on and they've got no warning what's going to happen and the example I always say to people is if you imagine you had you know, a, a, a room full of, a room full of babies and that baby, one of those babies needs a nappy change. You know, the whole room knows that baby needs a nappy change. The smell is everywhere. Yeah, That baby may not still at that point in its life realize it needs a nappy change. So yeah. if you swoop that baby up, stick them on a cold changing mat, take their clothing off, take the nappy off, freezing cold wet wipe on their bum, and they have no idea that any of that was coming from the moment that you decided to get them and pick them up, they still had no clue. So if you just wind that back and do something simple as telling them you're ready, you know, if you do any sign in, you could do the sign for ready, make sure they can see you, don't surprise them from behind, you know, all of these little things. If you just break that process down, that experience becomes much better. So you're gonna, you're, gonna come be, you're gonna make sure they can see you. You're gonna tell them, are you ready? You're then gonna tell them what you're gonna do. We're gonna change your nappy. You're then gonna take them over to somewhere. And something really simple is having the changing mat with a, with a little muslin underneath it, so it's not freezing cold on their back. You know, all of this, is like tiny little things. Uh, and again, touching where you're gonna change um it just makes it so much better for everyone they know what's happening to them and that that is the thing and you know we we have a bit of a laugh about it but i always sort of say to parents well you know imagine if that was you you know someone's going to come up behind you without you knowing scoop you up when you were quite happy on the floor playing with what you were playing with they're going to scoop you up they're going to Put you on a cold thing then all your clothes are going to come off and then you're going to have a cold flannel on your bum you
0: <laughs> you're just it's terrified it's horrible. <laughs> what is going on
1: what's going on this is supposed to be something that's nice for me this is horrible but just taking it one step at a time and it sounds when you break it down you, you know parents might think oh, i haven't got time to do that actually the process is quicker because you then have a baby who's happy to have those things done is a lot calmer you know uh there's so many examples i can give where you know parents have said to me oh now i've started using the ready sign and cutting down my communication to the real basics you know they seem to lay still for a minute for me and yeah absolutely because they know what's happening they're not worried they're not frightened they understand the process and if you do that every time Mm. then next time it's time for a nappy change they know exactly what's going to happen and
0: and they're prepared for it and it just makes such a difference and and what what you mentioned about the nappy change i've had such a personal experience with with recently with my youngest having been very unwell in hospital and for for a significant portion of the time that he was unwell um once he was sort of aware enough of what was going on around him, he was held a lot and he was with us. And when he was being laid down in his cot in the hospital, it was generally being for a procedure. It was bloods being taken. It was um, IV cannulas being put in. It was these really painful and, and not very pleasant procedures for him. And when we came home, he would not be laid down. Would not be laid down for an nappy change. Would he associated that with... Yeah, it, anytime he went from being with one of us to being laid down flat on his back it was just screaming 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 and the difference that we noticed with him of you know laid down and you'd see that that, that bottom lip would go and the whole thing you could see that it was all about to start and then i'd say sign, no we're just gonna have a nappy change and there was kind of this little moment of all right okay and, yeah. and you can see that that difference. He wasn't 100% comfortable being on, on his back and, and didn't like being there, but it stopped that screaming. It averted that panic that he was because in. he the, knew what was going to happen. Oh, oh God, I know what's coming. And then it was, oh, yeah. no, this is actually, no, it's just an appy change. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't take very long of doing that for him to respond to that cue and respond to that sign. And then was just yeah. a completely different child in that scenario. Yeah. Because, you know, understandably, he was frightened, but we kind of, we, we write off the emotions of babies so readily. And so many people said to me when he was unwell, oh, thank goodness he's this young, he won't remember it. <laughs> but I can tell you now over these last couple of months, he most definitely does remember it. He's most definitely yeah. conscious of all of those things that have happened. And you can see the links in little situations like that. That, that that memory is there whether yeah. it's a really conscious thing or not yeah. that memory and that impact is there but we write them off because they're yeah. you know, a seven or eight month old baby that they they won't be aware of it and in fact they really really are we're almost we're we're suppressing their potential we're not trusting that ability that they've got there and not opening ourselves up as parents to think oh what could my child do what are they capable of it's no they're this they're capable of this this is what this checklist says yeah not and
1: how are they feeling and what 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 is that association with those with those different things yeah absolutely
0: and and i think you know for for parents of babies in that sort of under six months range just incorporating those principles into those daily cares like you were talking yeah. about is, is such a good place to start yeah. because I think that's it's it's really simple you're doing it all day long it's such a good way to reinforce that for them
1: I think those principles as well around you know basic care you know we use the nappy change for example but if you think about you know a toddler um, how many times is it really easy just to kind of when you're getting ready to go out the door, stand behind them and stick a hat on their head? You know, and they had no idea that hat was coming. And as soon as you do that, that hat's going to be straight off because yeah. <laughs> they yeah. didn't want it on their head. <laughs> um, so all those basic principles about body signing and touch and permission, you know, that it can, it goes all the way goes all the way through childhood. And actually, if you get that right when they are small and when they are tiny and when they are babies that will form part of your natural parenting and you won't, you won't even have to think about it because it'll just be just be part of how you parent and how you uh, introduce your little one to care um, and and i think that's a that's an absolutely great base to to start from something as simple as you know letting them know what's coming next is a is a is a game changer <laughs>
0: What to us as an adult is it's cold. My child needs a hat on to that child is I don't get to give permission. I don't get to give consent. I don't have control over what happens to my body. And to some people that will probably sound like such an overreaction from a small situation like that. But if that's happening to them all day, every day in in situations big and small, the older that they get, the more they start to think actually, no, I'm not allowed to give or withdraw consent. These things, to happen i have to do what i'm told but if that child then says no i don't want my hat on you might perhaps give them the option of okay do you want to put it in the bag in case you get cold later and yeah. if they say yes and that's fine if they say no then you leave the hat at home yeah. and if they're out and they feel cold you can then calmly have that conversation with them oh yeah it's quite cold And you're laughing that I wonder whether if we'd put your hat on, you wouldn't be feeling so cold and you've completely diffused the situation. It doesn't become this, this, you know, parent versus child and authoritative relationship. There's that respect there that you're, you're giving them the information. You're explaining to them your rationale and you're then trusting them to make a decision for themselves. But you're also allowing them to deal with the consequence of that decision. And then that learning process that, that comes from it, yeah then having that that fight that you would have yeah. having over the hat yeah. having one and off for the next yeah.
1: Hour. yeah and i think the explanation is absolutely key because you know once again i don't think we give enough credit to our children about how much they can understand um and that that reasoning is really good because your your teeth that you know that even the smallest child is able to understand you know like the hat scenario okay you know that that's the decision we're going to have. And, and, you know, you can face the consequences and, um you know, I have a lot of that with, with my two boys and, and you know, they do, they do learn <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from experience. They do get that wisdom and it might be a bit painful, um but they, but they do. And it, you know, and it's great because then, you know, the next time there's a thought process around it. It's not, I'm just using the hat example. I'm just putting in that, bag and the hat because mum told me you know it's not it's not that it's like oh yeah I remember last time I didn't want it so I might take it this time and it's yeah it's a great thing to be able to teach to be able to teach young children
0: every one of us even as adults don't we we learn through experience we learn everything anything that's learnt in context and through personal experience is what really really sticks with us yeah but for some reason we forget that when when it comes to children don't we we everything is on our schedule um yeah. and it's it's you know what do we think they should be doing where should they be going what's going on and we're making all those decisions and I think one of the game changers when it comes to it as a parent though is you think actually this is making your life easier because the sooner that you start doing this the less sort of pushback you get and and I'm not implying in any sense we should make compliant children but you get less of that really irrational pushback because there's respect there you're not doing things to them you're doing things with them you're explaining your reasoning behind it and you're you're trusting in their ability to make a decision for themselves and you're supporting them through that process you're not dealing with all of that that fight almost yeah what you want them to do and what they want to do. And for parents who, I mean, you know, once you kind of get to, you know, 12 months or so, you can really start to involve your children in, in all of their daily tasks yeah. you know, Doing everything with them, setting up your space so that they can reach things so that they've got access to come up to the kitchen bench with you and help to prepare their food. So they've got access to get their own, you know, as soon as they're kind of walking and moving around, they can have a little drawer where they have their cups and bowls and plates and they can go and, you know, yep. get little bits out before they have a meal and allowing them to have, have some, some choices in what they do have, you know, a couple of options of what they wear, have a couple of options of, you know, what they can eat for their snack or whatever else. And, and trusting them to make that decision for themselves rather than taking over that process for yep. them.
1: Um, yeah. I think choices are so so important and it it can really make a difference it can really make a difference in a in a child just giving them a couple of options they really feel they are included and they are part of what is going on and yeah it it, again it's just about having a happy experience for for both parties that are involved and I think you say about sort of getting to the worktops and things like that, you know, both my two have always wanted to be, you know, on the worktop, on the worktop, work and you're like, oh gosh, you know, and it gets, sometimes you just think, oh, I really haven't got time, you know, it's all that pressure, and if I just did it, if I just did it, <laughs> it did <really laughs> like two right minutes. you're doing it, it's now 20 minutes, but it's so important, even if, I mean, it's my one thing, you know, I'm a bit of a control thing, you know, but I just have to let it go. And I, it's hard, it's not a natural thing for me, but I know when I do let it go, that later on down the line, the experience is so much better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting what you're saying about, because my boys always want to be kind of like in the kitchen with me and, and doing stuff. And it, we were talking earlier about, you know, accessible things to them and things for them. And I think when you look at how a baby sees things, Uh, and how a little toddler sees things you can then just sort of again put yourself in their shoes you know you're at the worktop as an adult you can see everything on the worktop if you've got a toddler they can see your legs you know how frustrating must that be for them just seeing your legs move backwards and forwards and then occasionally getting a glimpse of a spoon or whatever it might be um that must be so frustrating where it's just a simple way of getting them up higher in a safe way so they can see what's going on and, and be part of it and let them have a wooden spoon to bash on the worktop while you do whatever you're doing. And I think including them is, again, it's one of those really simple things, mm. but we often forget to see what it's like to be in their, to be in their shoes.
0: And it's a bit of an investment, isn't it? Because it comes back to what we're saying about everyone being so busy. Like so often, I could have been done with this by now. This would have been (laughs) finished and the kitchen would have been spotless and it would have just been fine. And it almost, at the time, it seems easier to not include them. It seems easier to just distract them with something else so you can get that done. And you get that you're sort of, you're investing that time now so that in six or 12 months time, you've got a child who can go and get a snack for themselves. Who can yeah. get themselves a glass of water, who can, yeah. you know, you can be, I don't know, take the example of what we we're doing this morning, making pancakes on a Saturday morning and they can pour in the milk and they can measure in this and, you know, they can pour from a little bottle really gently and they're able to stir it without the flour going all over the bench. Yeah. But at the time when you start doing that with them... <laughs> there's there's ingredients wasted and there's flour everywhere and there's stuff spilt all over the floor and you know you've got things down your clothes and you just stand there going oh god i could have just shoved her in front of the tv and done this myself yeah. right <laughs> it's really hard to to pick and choose those times and i think like anything else everything that we've spoken about in terms of this you know there like there is no perfection when it comes to it you're not going yeah. to implement all of these things necessarily all the time. There will be some yeah. times where you think, actually, you know what, we've got five minutes and I need to do this and I just don't have the time to yeah. have them up here and involved. But yeah. it's more kind of, you know, what you do ninety percent of the time versus what you do in that ten percent that is the bit that's really gonna make a difference for them. Um and and you're really kind of in investing in <laughs> in them, then um them being able to kind of do that later on on their own rather than always needing your input even years down the line when they're capable of doing it themselves yeah well thank you everyone for listening to beyond parenthood the podcast with your hosts Alyssa pemberton and ali hobson If you'd like to know more about what we do, you can head to www.beyondparenthood.co.uk and sign up to our mailing list and join us next week as we discuss the fourth trimester and the secret to surviving with a newborn.